Good morning. As I said, my name is Brian. I am the student pastor uh, here at the fellowship and love every single moment of it. Now, this whole week, uh, because they let us student pastors, they let us come up here about once a year. So uh, I've been preparing this summer for a year. And that's a joke, really not. But I am excited to be here. So this whole week, because a lot of you, if you do not know, I am from the state of Alabama, born and raised. So I have heard jokes all week, mainly by Aaron, uh, maybe Lynn's threw a couple in there, that uh, you guys may need a translator when I speak. I'm guessing they're taking a shot at my southern, southern draw, like, you know, Tennessee and Alabama is, is like separate states from New York to, to Florida. But anyway, uh, I realize they are actually, they are telling a little truth because when I did move up here five years ago, uh, and I was talking to like Tennessee fans, especially about football. I, I realized when I said the word national championship, they didn't understand what I was saying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am just play, just playing. Not really. But listen, I am grateful to be here this morning. Uh, I, I have, before we dive in our passage, I have to tell you guys, uh, as I was driving in this morning, as I drive every Sunday, I love that God has led me to the fellowship. And, and the reason being, because my uh, 15 to 17 years of, of ministry somewhere along there, I, I forget, I've been in it a long time. Uh, all of my failures, and I've had a lot uh, through ministry, uh, I don't even know what we kind of judge success by. I know that's all in God's eyes. But I think he prepared me for being here at the fellowship. And before we moved here five years ago, I, I had taken a long break from student ministry. In fact, I wasn't going back into student ministry. I really wasn't. I had started a nonprofit. I still have a nonprofit. And I go around to middle schools and high schools and I do a lot of speaking. I was like, I don't, that's it. I'm not doing student ministry anymore, and then all of a sudden, God had different plans, and here I am. And God not only, you know, put me back in the student ministry, He put me back in the student ministry in the state of Tennessee, which I thought, you know, God's got a sense of humor, and I thought, this is awesome. And then when I got here, uh, it was just so different. I, I just didn't know. When you are where you're supposed to be doing what God called you to do, I cannot describe to you. When you're not doing it in your own strength, when I got here, um, I joke around with Lynn a lot, but Lynn was in student ministry for, gosh, over, I know, over 20, 30 years. I'm not, I'm not saying he's old, but he's been in ministry for, for a long time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and as a student pastor, uh, to have that wealth of knowledge has just been a blessing because I can go in his office at any time, and I do a lot. Uh, sometimes I don't knock, which i got to get used to that. I just kind of walk in. But he always shares with me the things that God has showed him through the years and then having Aaron, who I run things off by, probably the closest thing I've ever had uh, you know, to a real, actually, uh, brother and then Tammy. And uh, I cannot describe to you these guys, and I'm a little biased. I think we have the greatest students ever. Um, and I haven't said this ever in my student ministry, but we even have the greatest student parents ever. And 
They are, I'm serious. They're awesome. They support me. My student leadership team, whether it's Dave, Whitney, Jimbo, uh, Kara has come on. I, I can't tell you how awesome Wade and Julie, just having all these people surround me and support me and pray for me uh, and help me with these guys because these guys are so awesome. So I love being here at the fellowship. I pray you love being here at the fellowship. But one reason I love being here at the fellowship is because I'm about to talk to you about the, how we got here and how I got here in my personal faith and how I had to actually examine my faith to get to this point I am now. So in James chapter 2, continuing in our James series, starting in verse 14... It says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you say to them, go in peace, keep, keep warm and well fed, but does, not, uh, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, that is a person considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. Pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for everything that we've heard and the great worship that we've had. And we just pray everything that, that we do is done for your glory. We thank you for your word. Uh, and we just pray that we would take this and apply it to our lives. God, we thank you for challenging us through your word every day. And we thank you for your gift of your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. When Nitra and I, my wife, moved, and Alyssa, uh, moved to Nashville, like I said, five years ago, uh, we met a real challenge in our life because when we first moved to Nashville, uh, we started going to a church, and it was a large church in Nashville, a huge church. I mean, it, it was like 20,000 people. Uh, they had like seven campuses. And the thing about it is, is when we started going to that church, we went to one service a week. I mean, we went Sunday morning, and that's it. Because we didn't really plug into what we call life groups here uh, at the time. We were still getting situated. And, of course, they didn't have anything on Wednesday nights. And, of course, I, I was still on break from doing any kind of ministry work. We went to church one day a week. And it was that church where, like, nobody knew who you were, right? Because out of 20,000 people, I mean, you can just go in, sit down, get up, and go out. And you ain't really got to talk to anybody. Now, that's not the way church is supposed to be by the way. 
But for us at the time, I'm like, man, we went to a small church in Alabama where everybody knew your business. And they, I mean, Betty knew everything about you before you even knew what was going on about you, you know? Like when she would call on the phone and be like, hey, did you hear about Brian and Nietzsche? Because that's just the life of student ministry at a small church. It's like, wow, I didn't even know I did that. You know what I mean? So I was thinking, that, I was thinking to myself when we were going to this church, I was like, I told Nietzsche one day, I was like, how awesome is it that we can just come in and, and we can just go out the door and... Nobody says anything about us because nobody knows us. So let's don't talk to anybody too much because I don't want anybody to know my business. I was used to like when I grew up with my grandmother because like back when I grew up with my grandmother, like people didn't talk about you that much because back then they had like rotary phones, you know what I mean? So you had to dial one, you know, and the nine was all the way down here. And if you messed up, you just got frustrated and hung up the phone. So you just didn't talk about nobody. You just drove to their house. If you really was that man, you just drove to their house and be like, look, I was going to call you, but I, it took me 30 minutes to make a phone call, so I just wanted to come to the house and tell you I don't like you. All right? So I'm used to that. So when we got to this big church, we were like, man, this is awesome. But the problem was after about a couple of months, because if we really know the real Jesus, the real Jesus... You can never become that comfortable with doing nothing. And I remember after a couple of months, we were driving in the car one day, and I was like, baby, we, we had came to the point of 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 when Paul challenged us to examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I said, I think we have become spiritually lazy. We're not doing anything. And I wasn't on level 10. Now, a lot of my students will know what I'm talking about with level 10 because I am a, an excited person and I get loud and I get excited because now I understand and fully understand what Jesus Christ has done in my life. The ups and downs and, the, and, and like I said at the night of worship, the, the, the insane mom who tried to kill me and my brother and dropping us off at the foster home and the, the physical and mental abuse that I went through as a child. I understand all that as I come up now and God is growing me. I understand the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. So that excites me. So when we sing things like Glorious Day and we sing that part like I ran out of that grave, that's why I like, man, I'm on level 10. And when I'm in front of these guys, I do these stupid dances and they're all like, Brian, please stop. No, I mean, I'm excited. Like I was driving down the road. Y'all know that song, What a Beautiful Name? We sing it here sometimes. Y'all know that? Like when it gets to that part where it says, you have no rival, you have no equal, and I'm driving down the road, and like I'm pretty sure when I'm in a red light and it comes to that part, man, I am just like screaming. And I'm pretty sure people are on the phone beside me. One, they're either calling the police or two, they're calling somebody and saying, hey, this guy needs to be checked in to some kind of institution because he probably escaped. But it's an excitement when we realize what Jesus has done in our life. And my wife and I had gotten to a place where we just became spiritually lazy. In any well-balanced life, there must be faith in works. And it's only through works that faith can prove and demonstrate itself. And it's only through faith that works will be attempted and done. 
And when we have this true faith, it is bound to overflow into action. And action begins only when we have faith in some great cause or principle. And God has given us that and his name is Jesus. Wow, we have a lot to celebrate. So we, we serve VBS. Uh, we give what we just did in the time of giving. Or, or we work with the students like so many work. And, 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 and when I ask poor Whitney, hey, can you cook this or do this or do this? We do all these things. Not because we are trying to gain points in Jesus. Or we're not doing them because we think, well, if I do this, then Jesus is going to love me more. Because what I tell students all the time is there is nothing you can do to make Jesus love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He simply just loves you. So we do these works, these actions, because we realize that we're loved more than we can ever imagine. And I believe with all my heart, every ounce of my heart, that if you were the only person on this earth, God still would have sent Jesus. Believe it with all my heart. It's a love we can't comprehend. It's not the notebook love. You know, the notebook, you know that show? Some of you guys are looking like, man, I ain't raising my hand. I remember my wife watched a notebook, right? She watched a notebook, and I remember that part, you know, where the guy's running through, uh, or the girl's running through the rain, and she jumps in the guy's arm, and they kid, oh, that's sweet. And I'm like, look, that ain't me. You can go out in the rain if you want to, because Brian's logical mind thinking is when it's raining outside, you stay inside. But if you're going to go outside and run and jump, do it so I can get it on video, because it'll go viral, because I ain't catching you. I'm not talking about that kind of made-up Hollywood love. I'm talking about the love of God sending His Son to die. Rose again on the third day. Not only rose again, but said, I am not going to leave you. I am going to send my spirit down to stay with you. And as messy as our lives get, that love stays the same. And we had lost vision of that love. So I want to give you three examples of faith that James is talking about here. And I guarantee you, you fit into one of these. There's no question. You have to fit into one of these. Or James wouldn't have written written it. And, and, And we fit into one of these. So I want to give you three examples. And what it looks like when faith and works go together. And by no means is James contradicting Paul when Paul tells us this in Romans 3.28 that for we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from works for the law. There's no contradiction here. And I want to give you an illustration of why that's not a contradiction. Imagine you have two patients at the doctor's office in two different rooms. The doctor goes in one room and tells one of the patients, hey, you need to run. He then leaves that room and he goes into the other room and he says, you know what, you need to sit. Is this a contradiction? Not at all. They're two different patients. One guy is heavy 
And the other guy broke his leg. So one needs to run and the other one needs to sit. It's not a contradiction when you consider the patient because when you consider the patient, then the diagnosis makes sense. James is writing to highly religious people who won't do anything. Paul was writing to primarily Gentiles and newly converted pagans and they were asking Paul, hey, do I need to do this or do I need to do that for Jesus to love me? And he is simply telling them, no, Jesus paid it all. So Paul is talking about how to get in the right relationship with Christ. James is talking about what the right relationship with Christ looks like when it's put into action. There's no contradiction. So I want to talk about these three faiths. The first one I want to talk to you about is dead faith. And dead faith is simply lip service, not lifestyle. You can be rooted in tradition, rooted in morality, rooted in religion, rooted in spirituality, but you're not rooted in Christ. Jesus tells us himself in Matthew 7, 17, that a good tree bears what? Good fruit. Do you know what dead people do? And this is not a trick question. It's not, it's not a trick question. I probably, you know what dead people do? Do you know what dead faith does? Nothing. And that's exactly where my wife and I were falling into. We were falling into this first because we were going to church one day a week. And we thought, woohoo, one day a week we're celebrating Jesus, man. I bet he loves this. And then we ain't doing nothing. Sitting in recliners, enjoy the TV shows because we're at that age right now to where we just watch a big bunch of these Chicago shows. They got a Chicago show for everything, right? It's like Chicago Law, Chicago Justice, Chicago Pizza, Chicago Barbershop, Chicago everything. We love them all. So we're sitting there and we're watching these shows and, 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 and that's what, and there's nothing outside of what we're doing on Sunday morning. We go, we sing the songs. That's it. Maybe we have a conversation about Jesus Ever now and then. Look at verse 17 of our text. Look what it says. And starting with verse 16. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. So when we're alive in Christ, when we have this real faith, when it registers in our mind, wow, we have been rescued by Jesus. We can't contain that because it transforms us. The second one I want to talk to you about is demonic faith, which it talks to us in verse 18 and 19. And there's usually three groups of people Three groups of people. There's one who believe, believes, do these things on this list and God will love you. You have a big checklist. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. God's going to be happy with me. He's, he's going to love me if I do all these things. Every religion except Christianity believes this way. You work yourself to death and you'll gain heaven or some kind of great reward. I've always said, because I have been there before, if you ever go to church and you feel like you're punching a time clock, something needs to change. 
And I had been there before where I felt like I was just walking in and punching the time clock and I couldn't wait to till it got over. And man, we get to that place where we can't wait to get church gets over, then man, we're just like, there's something wrong. And I've been, I've been to churches all over as I have gotten a chance to speak a lot of different churches. And, and, and it's gotten to a point to where like the Holy Spirit is like 12 o'clock, we're done. Now I know we're on a different time schedule here because we start at 10. But it's like, hey, Brian, look, Holy Spirit's done 12 o'clock. Now if you pass 12.01, you better go to Chick-fil-A because that's where the Holy Spirit's going to be because we're done. You know what I mean? It's like 12.01, they done got a board meeting meeting and you're out the door. Don't bring that guy back. So we get to that point to where we just can't really tolerate anymore. And these people who believe like they work themselves to death, Christianity on the other hand, teaches that Christ does all the work and only faith in him leads to heaven. Then you have the second group of people, there's the faith people who take it to the whole other extreme. We don't need to give. God takes care of everything. We don't need to serve because we'll call that legalism. And we will just sit around and write a bunch of books about Christianity, talk about theology, debate about who all was wrong, and we'll just wait to go to heaven. We just sit and get spiritually obese and we don't do anything. That's, then there's the third people who think that God grades on a curve. It's a place I'm sure that some of you may have been at in your life. It's the people who will wear the t-shirts and go to church and tell people I'm a Christian. Man, I'll even put a verse on Facebook. You know who Jesus is, but you don't really know him. i give you an example of this. Larry Bird. I'm one of the biggest Boston Celtics fans you'll ever meet. I grew up loving Larry Bird, right? So I, I, I could tell you, I could tell you his stats uh, his scoring stats, his rebound stats, his assist stats. I could tell you about everything. Indiana State, I could tell you where he went to high school. I got to go to French Lick, Indiana. I got to see the driveway that he poured for his mom when he refused to hire somebody to pour the driveway. And then he hurt his back and it cut his NBA career short by about five years. So I always have this argument with Gavin, like LeBron James. Then people are like, man, Larry Bird is, Larry Bird's Larry Bird. He's the best. And I could tell you every you want to know about Larry Bird but there's one huge problem I don't know who he is I've never met the man a day in my life but I have all the information that I could give to you to make you think that I knew him and that's the way it is with the demonic faith you have a ton of information but zero transformation demon faith is rebellious and it's not repentant it's the attitude that says okay we know you're jesus but we're not going to submit to you we know the things you say in scripture but i have my own way of thinking and my thinking is better than yours and my opinions matter more you can make a hundred on a bible quiz guess what so could the demons The demons refuse to transform. Saying you believe does nothing but put you on the same playing field as the demons. The sad part is our scripture tells us that demons believe and they even shudder. We have many in churches today that say they believe and don't even shudder. 
You can have all the knowledge in the world and it means nothing. Having great head knowledge is no different than demon faith and it will get you nowhere. The enemy knows scripture from front to back. At some point in your and my life, there has to be this transformation that shows the world that we are believers. And not just believers, but we're excited to be believers. We're excited to serve. We're excited to give. We're excited to share our faith. We're excited to come and sit. And when we do miss, we do kind of get a little weird out because that's where we want to be with with, uh, the rest of the community of believers. And I have to battle this in student ministry because in student ministry today... Is it's a lot of things, a lot of false doctrines going around about with students, and and I have to be sure to teach students what the true word says because a lot of times today students don't even know if these sixty six books are truly true because people are going off of opinions and what they think knows better is well God really didn't mean this when He said it. I can promise you He did. If there was any more information that we needed, I promise you, he would have gave it to us. If there was anything in here that he wanted taken out, he would have taken it out. So we have this faith of when we truly meet Jesus, the real Jesus, that it just does something to us, which brings us to our third and last point. So we have dead faith, we have demonic faith, And now we want to talk about the faith that I pray all you and and I have. And that is dynamic faith that talks about in verse 20 and 26. This is the faith that moves. This is the faith that is in love with Jesus Christ. And because of it, it moves us into action. James gives us two examples in Abraham and Rahab. Abraham is the great example of faith. But Abraham's faith was proved by his willingness to sacrifice Isaac at the demand of God. Rahab sheltered the spies and sent the spies out into the promised land in Joshua 2. If you go back and read Joshua 2, it was her treatment of the spies which proved that she had faith. As soon as Rahab was converted, she was different. And I tell my students all the time, as Christians, you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to be different. And that is rooted in this dynamic faith, a faith that truly believes in Jesus Christ. Rahab didn't say, hey, I believe, but good luck getting out of the town, guys. No, she said, God got me out of this mess that I was in, and I want to help you get out of the mess you're in. She displayed God's work for her, in her, and through her. And that's the same way for us. It feels, do you know how good it feels to do student ministry in God's strength and not my own. For so long, man, in student ministry, I battled. Like, I was tired, exhausted. And I used to think that if I didn't show up, the student ministry was going to fall apart. Now I know that I don't have to show up, which I'm going to show up. I'm not saying that. But when I do take a day off, or when I do, uh, if I'm going on vacation, I don't worry about anything. Because all this is built on God, not me. All these kids, their relationship, I pray, 
this with Jesus, not me. I'm just the one who God lets me play this tiny, small part in their life. And I'm grateful for that. And we have some of the sweetest students you have ever met. Like this morning, I had students coming up, and, and they're like, hey, I'm so excited for you. Let me take pictures. I'm proud of you. You know how that feels as a student pastor when you have a student that tells you, I'm proud of you? It like moves you to tears. Because I don't have to do this in my strength anymore because I pray that I am doing this because they see the excitement of how I love Jesus. And they carry that out into their families and into their schools and into their homes. Because people, when you meet Jesus, it's always going to lead to transformation. If not, then you haven't met the real Jesus. When you meet him and his love transforms you, then your faith comes alive and works pour out of you because of this great faith. In other words, your faith becomes complete. Look at verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. We're not trying to work our way to heaven. We're not trying to gain points. We're just doing what we're doing because we're simply in love with Jesus. It's always going to move us to action. Our love for Jesus is always going to move to action. The same way Jesus' love for us, God's love for humanity led him to action. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Now look, I wasn't the brightest student in school. I wasn't good at math. I took algebra 2 twice because I thought that's what it meant in college. Right? (laughs) Not the greatest student. But I was pretty good in English. And I do not know what the word gave means. And gave is an action verb. God so loved the world that he gave. Gave his only son. His love for you and I led to action. And it led him to send Jesus And through our faith in him and only him, that love was completed. Because then we know that we're all going to see each other again. That's why I always tell students all the time, hey, the student comes up to me and says, hey, I just can't get along like Gabby. I'm just using Gabby example. She's never done this before. I'm just using If Gabby comes up to me and says, hey, you know what? I don't like Addie. I wish I could put her in a a fanny pack and throw her over a bridge. That's where I'm at right now in my life. And it's just, just, and and Addie comes up to me and says, I don't like Gabby anymore. In fact, I don't even like her family. I don't like her dog. I don't like nothing about her. When I get to students like that, I was like, hey, if you truly believe in Jesus, you better get learned to get along now. Because eternity is a long time. And I am so excited that once we leave this world, if we have dynamic faith, we've met the real Jesus, the works pour out of us because of our faith in Him. 
this isn't the end. We're going to step foot in eternity. And we're going to see that it was all worth it. Every ounce of energy that we pour into what we do, when we show up here on Sunday morning and we get so excited. Man, I tell them, it's just, Christians just, in my mind, sometimes we're just not loud enough unless we're talking about politics on Facebook. But I'm talking about when we're in here. It's like, how can we not be, like, do y'all know the song, Death Was Arrested? I know a lot of you know that. How can we not be on level 10? Tell me, explain to me. How can we not? Man, I have been sitting right there and I have seen these guys playing and, and doing what God has called them to do. Their faith pours out in action so they're leading worship. They're doing what God called them to do. And I'm like, man, how can we not blow the roof off this place? Alone in my sorrow, dead in my sin, lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. You're like, well, that's okay, Brian. Okay, well, how about this? Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. And that's when death was arrested and my life began. That's when my life began. And it moved me because of my faith in Jesus to go out and share as much of Him to anybody that I come in contact with. That's why you came this morning, I pray. It's because you love Jesus. That's why you sing, because you love Jesus. That's why you worked at VBS, because you love Jesus. That's why you cook in student ministry, or that you serve these students, or you lead worship, or whatever it is, because you love Jesus. Not because you have to. Because you want to. 